you want an insight into the minds of the industry professionals, then there's only one place to be. One place to be. The Ins and Out Podcast with your host, Kane Silver. In this episode of the Ins and Outs Podcast, I speak with the owner of one of the most established agencies in the UK, Chris Minot. Chris has over 17 years experience on running an agency and in this episode he gives so much advice on how to audition and what he looks for in auditions. We talk about dancers' mental health and how they should approach and leave auditions and why dancers shouldn't ever be unemployed. We also discuss on how a relationship between a dancer and an agent should be and that you don't need to be afraid of your agents. We even talk about why it takes so long for dancers to be paid and I know that is a question that everyone wants to know the answer to so I asked it you're welcome Chris has a book coming out this year and for more information on that go to his Instagram the handle is at temple 105 and the book discusses on basically dancers mental health and how they need to be happy um, it was such a pleasure having Chris on this podcast. It's a great conversation. It's about an hour and a half long, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So a big thank you to Chris for coming on the podcast. This episode is also brought to you by Level Up Dance Academy, bringing you the highest quality premium dance training around. Go and check them out on Instagram at Level Up Dance Academy. Now the wait is over, so here is... Chris Minot. And we're in, and today I have with me Chris Minot. Hi Chris. Thank you for inviting me, I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. Um, we've just been talking, and it's something that I wanted to bring up and talk to you about, but seeing as we've just spoke about it, we'll go straight in on that. You were telling me about you have an Agency 105, is that correct? Um, Agency 105 is a production company arm of um, what I do, but I've cultivated a new book called Temple 105 which has been uh, I guess 17 years in the making which is sort of through the whole of my time with Dancers Inc but specifically in the last five years I've gone around to lots of colleges in the UK um, I've been working with one college in particular um, we've been hosting workshops and um, uh, things like that which we've we've sort of really only done for the first time and the most distressing thing about it is that what I find is, is more prevalent than ever is fear. Everybody's really f fearful of their next step, of getting out into the industry, of um, you know what I feel should be like an adventure. Everyone's so worried about what's going to happen. And, and the only thing I can put it down to why there is so much fear, or more than when I first started out is because everyone is so much more aware of what's out there you know when we were training when we were younger in our provincial dance schools we didn't know what was in the next town we didn't know how, how good anybody was we thought we were the best yeah. and then all of a sudden you know when you go to auditions that's when you start realizing there are other great people out <laughs> there and it's a bit frightening but up to that point we were just completely ignorant and in some respects that was that was better now, if you go on YouTube or, or you know, on Facebook or, or Insta or whatever, you're confronted with people that you're instantly going to compare yourself to. Mm -hmm. And 
that I think has brought this wave of fear through new graduates, people that have been in the industry two or three years even, they are really struggling with not feeling good enough, not feeling like they're ever going to match up. And I, to me, being a little bit older than most of the people I work with and um, old school in values, I don't believe that you should ever compare yourself to anybody no. because you'll never be them. You know, you, you can, whatever you do, you can try and shift yourself and change and modify your looks or whatever, but you will never be another person, you'll always be just you. And that's why I'm trying to sort of chant my mantra through my book, where you basically celebrate everything about you. Mm -hmm. um, there's a chapter in the book called The Temple of You, and like any temple where people go along and worship, it's all about worshipping you. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to sort of drive that home because everybody's focus seems to be on other people rather than themselves. And the more you invest in yourself, the better you get, you know. No, definitely. I can't remember where I saw it, but I saw something about um, wake up when you wake up every morning, look in the mirror and tell yourself three things about yourself that you like mm -hmm. and avoid all the things you don't. Mm -hmm. So if you just start your day with three things that you like about yourself, even if you wake up and go, oh, I don't look tired today, yeah. it's a positive. You know, True. to start those days. But I definitely agree. I feel like uh, when I go and teach students and when I teach at colleges and even dancers I talk to, you know, you, you always end up going to the subject of, oh, did you see the, this person doing this? Did yeah. you see that person doing that? And it's never, um, I'm working on this so I can be better at this. Mm. It's always, I saw someone doing that, so I want to do that. Yeah. Leaning on inspiration from outside rather than sometimes their own inspiration. Yeah. I, I often feel like the best stories that you can tell are the ones that come from you. That it's something that's happened to you that you've interpreted your way and that can bleed into choreography or into songwriting or whatever. But it comes from you, you know, that you're not always looking for outside stimulus. And I think we're completely saturated now with too much visual imagery that makes us yeah. go we should be this or we should be that or why aren't I yet mm -hmm. and you know and I, I, I feel sorry for this generation that they're having to go through that because I feel like you know they're setting themselves almost an impossible task that's why when it part the things I say in the book is you know don't waste your energy on the things that you can't change mm -hmm. put your energy into the things that you can and there's so many things that you can you know you're somebody who's very body conscious and you've worked on your body and that's something that's within your power to do. Mm -hmm. But it, you can't change the colour of your skin. Well, that's, <laughs> it's funny you say that. So um, I was talking to my friends yesterday um, about the Magic Mike audition coming up. Sure. And we were saying, you know, uh, what they were all talking about what you think they're going to go for and stuff. And when I first moved to LA six years ago, mm -hmm. uh, I remember going there and saying to myself, the only way I'm not going to get a job is because I'm not right for it. Not because I don't, because uh, I'm overweight, not because I'm not good enough. Mm. The only ways I'm going to get it is because they don't want a five foot eight white ginger guy. Mm -hmm. They want a five foot ten black dude. Yeah. You know, that's going to be the only obstacle in my way. Mm. Um, and so I always say you need to take control of the things that you can control and make them work for you the best that you possibly can. And having sat on the audition panel side, which isn't the favourite part of my job, but it's something that I'm inevitably faced with, you know, all the way through the year. I know the silly reasons why people don't get jobs. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be because the girl who wore that costume before, we have to have somebody who can fit it as well. Yeah. 
um, we need another brunette because we've got one on the left side, we need one on the right on the side. Right. Um, does that girl, does that make her the best dancer in the room or does it make her fit what we're looking for? Yeah. Um, it can be, yeah, it can be height, it can be too tall, too short, it can be all sorts of things. It could even be an ethnic mix. We can even look at it and go, okay, well, we need to have a representative ethnic mix throughout this cast, you know, and then you sort of have to sort of narrow your vision to find the people that work. And, you know, that doesn't automatically mean that if you've been killing the audition all day long, that that means you're an awful dancer. And whilst it's not always easy to give feedback all the time, I think you have to have that inner sense that you you couldn't have given any more that day. Yeah. And that if you didn't get it, it's down to something else. Mm -hmm. You should never walk out of an audition room feeling like you could have done any better. Because then it's on you. Yeah. You know, and we all know when we're on our game when we're off, off on our of off, off our game. You know, people, you know, go to audition sometimes and they haven't prepped or they haven't danced for a few days or, you know, and suddenly they find themselves like they've been teleported into this audition and they don't know where they are, <laughs> what they're meant to do, the limbs don't work anymore. And that is on you. Mm -hmm. But if you can come out of an audition and you can feel that you've absolutely done everything in your power that you could have done and you don't get it, there's another reason that's beyond yeah. your control and you have to have faith in that. My big thing that I keep trying to teach at the moment to everybody is that the, the, the way that people load auditions or castings with expectation, you know, they have this thing that if I don't get it, then this is, it's going to mean X. Mm -hmm. Or if I don't get it, then I'm obviously useless or I, I'm going to have to give up if I don't get this one. Mm -hmm. You know, but that's a lot of pressure, you know, to feel whenever you're doing anything to, to give it that much expectation. So I've been trying to build in to everybody I meet a reward structure for every audition that you go to. Mm -hmm. And that is, regardless of the outcome, whether you get the job or not, that you take control and you reward yourself that day. Mm -hmm. And it could be anything. It could be a donut, it could be pizza, it could be a top that you've seen in a shop you want to buy, it could be something you want to download. Something that's just for you, that you identify, you go, if I'm, today I'm going to get myself this because I got out of bed, I forced myself to get on the train, I put myself on the line in front of a group of people, and that means I deserve it. Whether I get the job or not, mm -hmm. I've worked hard today, I deserve this reward. And psychologically, some of the people that I've been sort of banging on about this to have started to implement it into their casting and audition process, and they actually text me and say, oh, I just went and got this, or they show me a picture of whatever their award was, and and it's changing the, the mentality of you know, how often people come out for auditions and feel like, you know, really bad if yeah. they don't get it. Maybe it's for them. Um, you can swear. Oh, okay. Well, they, I feel like sometimes people, when they, when they come out, they, they berate themselves for not doing or getting what they want, which, again, could be out of their control. So the thing that you can control is going and buying yourself or going and treating yourself to something as a reward that day. And I think it works. Yeah, 100%. No, Someone taught me that. I, yeah, definitely. What I... Moving... When I was here, I feel like I had quite a short career here whilst... I mean, I started working here at 19, 20. And I remember. I'd, I'd moved by 22. I was, yeah. I'd moved to LA. So my time here was very short. My first year was very difficult. And after that, you know, I'd, I worked a lot. And I feel like I took that quite for granted. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember looking around at dancers on jobs and thinking, 
they're on that job and I'm not. I'm mm-hmm. better than them. I take more class than them. I can mm-hmm. do stuff they can't do. Not understanding the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Not understanding that they might be someone who they prefer to be around for the next three weeks than yeah. me. They might be someone that's always reliable. They might not be the 10 out of 10 dancer, as in the, the quality of their movement, but they're the 10 out of 10 dancer on stage when they need to take a correction. Sure. And there were so many things that I didn't understand and moving away and being on my own, I kind of had to figure all this out on my own. So what I used to do when I go to castings or when I go to auditions and I get cut and it would happen a lot, I would always go, right, what did I learn from that experience? Yeah. Every audition is a class, it's a, a lesson. lesson. Everything I went to, I'd walk away going, ah, they didn't look very happy when I did that. Mm-hmm. Or if I got there and I don't know, I wasn't presented in the right way or I didn't have the correct headshot that they'd required but I got a smaller size. You know, they didn't like it. Why didn't they like it? In my eyes, it's not a big deal but it's, a, it's such a basic requirement that they asked for. If I couldn't match that, why would they expect me to be able to match six months worth of work? Yeah, All I, different there, things there which is, come there's in. There's so many reasons <clears throat> and, you're, and you're saying all of them and you know, none of them are, are incorrect. But... One of the biggest things that I've always been faced with is sometimes we have a group of dancers coming into audition and they're all brilliant, mm-hmm. especially if they're people who we represent because they're already at a level which I, you know, and I respect them and I think that they're great, otherwise we wouldn't have them on our books in the first place. But budget might tell us we could only have 10 that day. Yeah. And that's so hard because you go, but I want 20 or I want 30. <laughs> You know, but you're looking at the budget and you're going, okay, so we have to pick 10. But that doesn't mean the other 10 weren't any good. Yeah. They're great still. And you want to be able to run around and hug everyone and go, no, you did a really good thing today. But they've grabbed their bag and gone. And I've, I'm always worried about what happens next. Yeah, the next thing. You know, with- I had a friend that I went to college with. I always tell this story. And she, she was better than all of us at college. She was, you know, I was jealous for her and I was a boy. So I was never going to compete with her. But... You know, she always got a lot of attention and she was good looking and she was really flexible and it just came naturally to her. She was always pulled focus on stage. And, you know, everybody predicted a massive career for her. You know, definitely she's going to be whatever she was. And um, she did. She went to London Studio and she came out, graduated from there and she did two auditions in quick succession and she didn't get either of them. She gave up, gave up the industry. Ridiculous. It totally <laughs> ruined her confidence. She had no way of getting back from it, and she just didn't do it anymore. And it was a it was a massive shame. But I can guarantee that the people on that panel didn't realise they were wielding that much power over somebody who trained since they were you know a fetus to be a dancer. <laughs> and another point to this whole audition talk is, I say to people, you know, when you go into a room full of strangers, you would never hand them your car keys and say, here, take it, you know, have my car, you know, have my thing that I've spent a lot of money on, you have it. And you wouldn't go into a room full of strangers and say, here, have the keys to my house, take it, do what you want, it's yours. Or anything that's precious to you, you just wouldn't give it a room to, away to a room full of strangers. Yet, at the door of an audition, people are ready to hand over their happiness to a panel who they don't know. Yeah, and their last 15 years Training. of life. Every, everything that they've brought them to that point, they're willing to gamble it all on a group of people who may not even be paying attention to them. They might be on their phone. They yeah. might have brought their mate along to sit on the end of the panel who's playing 
God that day by, by sitting there and feels powerful because he's judging or she's judging a group of people who they're not really qualified to judge. And that's another thing about audition etiquette that I don't like. But nevertheless, you're handing them as you walk in the door the power to control your happiness, your next step of your career, and that should never happen. You have to have enough of your own sense of self mm-hmm. to walk out of that audition that day and go, I'm going to shrug this off. If I don't get this job, it doesn't matter because I'm enough. Yeah. And I don't think people, enough dancers have that sense. I think you do when you get to you know, your age or, or above, when you know how good you are, when you know how, you, how well you're trained, you've, got, you've done those major jobs with artists, you know how good you are. But younger people don't know that yet. No. You know, they've not had those defining jobs, like you were saying earlier, you've worked with Kylie. They've not done those jobs yet. So they're at the vulnerable point where they could end up going, this isn't for me. And yeah. that is a massive shame sometimes. But it all comes down to handing the, the panel the power and I include myself in that. I've, you know, people have come to auditions and they are brilliant and I've missed them because there's too many people in the room. That are not brilliant. <laughs> when, yeah, or no, that we just, you just don't see everyone. It's, yeah. you, you know, you can't have that peripheral vision all the time. There's going to be somebody that's out of your... And I don't understand dancers that put themselves at the back, that place themselves there every mm-hmm. time because you're going to miss them. And, you know, even... I've said it a few times to people who hold auditions a lot. Why are we not? Why are we not holding audition classes? Why yeah. are there not ways to learn how to audition? Sure. I was awful at auditioning when I was nineteen. Mm. Now I'm really good. Yeah. Because I know if I'm struggling with something, you're not going to see it. Yeah. And the bits that I'm comfortable with, I promise you, you're going to see it. Yeah, sure. You know. Yeah. I'm there gonna, is a technique to it. There 100%. is definitely. I mean, we we have included it in our workshop series that we do, and it you know it's. Everything I think you need to know, not just going over and over stuff. Mm-hmm. We always, if I ever run an audition, try to see five people at once, mm-hmm. depending on the time constraints or whatever, because I think that gives everyone a fair crack. When they do the group you mean. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, if you get a group of 10, with the best will in the world, you're not going to see everybody. No. So we try and keep it to fives, but like I say, if we've got an hour to get it cast, it's a bit harder to do that. But... I still think that the technique side of it is everything, the psychology of walking into the audition, where I think everybody, when they walk in, thinks that they're the only person that feels the way they're feeling. 100%. And everybody feels it like it. I just think some people are better at covering it up than others. Mm-hmm. And if people are experienced and they've been in the industry longer, they realise that they're alive and breathing at the end of that audition. You know, I've, I've yet to go to a casting where everyone's been gunned down by the <laughs> panel. You know, everyone escapes alive. And I just think if that's the worst case scenario, then it can't be that bad. Yeah. You know, so a good nerves are good, but, you know, that petrifying, paralysing nerves aren't. Mm-hmm. And you can only really get past that by realising that everybody in that room that you're in the room with are in the same boat as you. Yeah. And I also... What I've, I mean, I haven't auditioned in a while, but I auditioned last year for two different jobs. Mm-hmm. And both times I went and I was around a lot of graduates. Yeah. And straight away I saw the lack of knowledge of what they're going for. Mm-hmm. Straight away they don't really know the choreographer, they don't know the, the style agency they're going for, they don't know the style. Mm. And they're how they present themselves they're, they're coming like they're going to class yeah and I remember pulling um, one of my students over and saying to him what the fuck are you doing mm. and he was like what and I was like 
what have you got on? I was like, they, you, they, you need to give the, the, the people who are on this panel the image that you're ready for their job. Mm. Not that they're going to make you ready, mm. that, that you're ready. So you rocking up in your tracksuit bottoms and a vest and some knee pads isn't showing you're ready for the job. Yeah. They've now got to envision you in their job. And you know, I, I turn up in jeans, I turn up in an outfit that I would likely to wear on that stage. I'll never forget I auditioned for Jason Derulo in 2010 or 11, I can't remember. And I wasn't invited to the audition. So I messaged uh, one of my other agents, I was like, you know, I really want to go. And he's like, yeah, yeah, of course, go in. And the night before I stayed up for three hours looking at all Jason Derulo's last performances and they did um, check that out, what they playing, it's my song, it's my song. I sat there, I learned, kind of learned the chorus as in the rhythm pattern. I looked at the costumes that the dancers wore and I went, right, I'm going to be that guy tomorrow. So when I went to the audition, I was dressed like Ivan Kamoyo was on the last show. I already knew all the rhythm patterns. I knew what they kind of looked for and liked and they took two boys out of a 130 of us and I wasn't even invited. But it's because I'd done my homework and I'd already given them, as soon as we walked through the door, they can go, oh, yeah. he already looks like he's, he's gonna fit in with, he's our, gonna fit in with our people right, straight yeah. away. It's about doing your research and I see lots of youngsters now, uh, graduates and stuff, going to auditions and they're just in their, like, their tracky bottoms and a top. And I'm like, mm -hmm. do you think that's what you're gonna wear on stage with Kylie? Agreed. Do you think that's what you're gonna wear on stage for Wicked? No, yeah. they need to be able to envision you in something. Exactly right. Um, I get criticised sometimes for that because I often tell people to look at their appearance when they come to auditions or if they're meeting a, a choreographer or director for the first time. And what you've just said, Kane, is exactly right. You know, the, the blessing and the curse of social media, we just talked about the downsides of it, but the, the good sides of it, that all of that information that you researched is out there. Oh. You know, you can YouTube it and you've got like the last 10 performances or whatever, like you said, and it, 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 it makes sense because you've got a direct insight into the creative mind of whoever is working with Jason Drulo, for example. But the reason why I've been criticised in the past because people have, have imagined that I'm just all about the aesthetic. But actually, that's not what it's about. It's about being correct for the particular job that you're going for. Mm -hmm. And I think an audition is an occasion. I think it's something that you have to pull yourself together and look like you know you you know you're in charge of what you're doing. You don't you're always on show. Um, when I do corporate work, you can guarantee the client will come in about half past five mm -hmm. at the end of the rehearsal day when everyone feels like death. You know they've been working, they've gone through that mind block where they can't take any more choreography in, they want to go to bed, but. The, the client comes in and they want to see the product there and then. Mm -hmm. And I ask people to go and get changed, sort the hair and makeup out, because otherwise they'll come in and they'll see a room full of a sweaty mess and go, what am I paying for? I don't understand, these aren't the dancers that I, I saw great pictures of. You know, I just see people who look like they've been run over. You know, can you, yeah. can you go and get them sorted out? So I, I say that to people and it's, it's really because we have creative vision we understand what it's like to, to work in a rehearsal situation, but those people don't. No. You know, and the same goes for artists. The artists want to see who's going to be on stage with them, yeah. who's going to make their tour look good. Who's going to sell their, their product. Yeah, and when they walk in and they, they see people who don't look ready, they're going to think, I don't want that person on stage with me. Well, you're never going to see someone selling a Ferrari in a Lonsdale tracksuit. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that, that, that's the thing. I, I just think that you have to be constantly aware that you are the product. You know, and you have to be keeping your product maintained. 
I mean, you know, you know yourself, being massively into fitness, you've, you've got to make sure that your product is your fortune and that's why you're working every night on, in the dream poise, you know. Yeah, 100%. And um, I think where people don't understand that or they're not taught that, they just base everything, like you said, on dance. They mm-hmm. go, oh, it's on my capability, and it's not at all. No. Um, Maybe some contemporary companies, you know, they're, they're less, um, you know, they, they, don't, they don't care as much because it's, it's just the very nature of what they do. But, you know, I, I, I disagree that, that every single person should be looking into, into what they, they're promoting as themselves because sometimes it's just it just is a look they'll walk in and they'll go yeah she looks great we'll book her and you know we haven't even seen her dance so if she came in not up to her best then they wouldn't book her and it just so you always have to be aware I even tell people to you know if you've if you've I had some mentorship meetings this week uh, with some new graduates and I said to them you know you're coming to meet me but I could be anybody you know coming you imagine you're going into central London you could bump into anyone at any time a casting director or a choreographer or whatever, you need to be ready for that meeting because when, then when I send you out to a meeting, I know how you're going to be. Mm-hmm. I know you're going to think that this is something you have to dress up for. And um, I think it makes a big difference. It just makes it look like you're making an effort. Yeah. And that's that always speaks volumes, I think. 100%. Um, there's a big misconceptuate... How do I say it? Mis- I don't know, I can't say the word... Misconceptuation? Mis- I might misconception. Have made misconception. Boom. <laughs> we call it. I'm just a dancer, guys. Um, about, uh, you know, in this country, it's about how you look. And when you go to LA and when you go to the States, it's not about that. They just care about how you dance. Mm. And like, that's, it's correct to a degree. Of course, they care about how you dance. But still, it's a false thing. I think almost 80% of the castings I went to, they ask you to write your social media handles down on the side so they can see how many followers you've got yeah. and they can see what you get up to in your private life. Of course. Do you, do you see that here as well? Um, Does that I, ever happen where they go, oh, well, can we look into your... He's a great dancer, let's look into his background and see what he does in his time. I can remember a time I was doing a um, thing with Disney and one of our female dancers, whom I loved, um, she was up for a presenting role in it and um, they had all her details and her name and, and everything and then the next thing they came back and said that they after you know being in love with her as well and saying she was great she was perfect great screen test or whatever it was suddenly they didn't want her mm-hmm. and they said that they found some photos of her which weren't suitable for the younger audience Disney audience mm-hmm. um, and we were thinking what is it and we were looking at her Facebook and trying to work it out and we couldn't see anything wrong you know we probably weren't looking at it through Disney's eyes but we were, we were looking at her thinking I don't know what they're talking about you know there's no pictures of drunk anywhere or anything like that and it was her um, commercial body shots <laughs> which you know all girls have well they were know. requested to have it because when they want to dance for Jason Derulo <laughs> sure they need to they, they need, need to, to show that. that and you know they weren't um, explicit or any way set, you know, soft pornographic or nothing like that. It was just their body shots, her body shots, and um, they they wouldn't take her because of it. So I will often say, and I know that Instagram, you know, people live their life on it. You know, we see you with your family, but then we see your professional images and we put them together. I personally think that dancers, if they're going to be working, should have a personal one and a professional one, mm-hmm. because 
there is information is so easily accessible about you. Yeah. And not only that, you know, you, when you work for com- for you know bands like Little Mix or when we used to do work with Cheryl or people like that, they they have mad fans, and then the mad fans then get attracted to the dancers mm-hmm. and the next thing they're messaging them and you know mm-hmm. you're too accessible whereas if you've got your personal thing wrapped up in your own with your own friends and whatever I think it's a better thing I know people don't want to do it because it's extra work but I actually think from a professional sense it makes you look better definitely I mean I'm a victim of it I do it you know I have my personal life and my my work life on the same thing I definitely do yeah. because when social media first took off, mm-hmm. didn't see it going in that direction. No. <laughs> you know, you just go, I want everyone to see this. I've got this many friends on this. Yeah. And it's kind of built up. But I definitely agree with you. I see a lot of um, dancers who work in clubs. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm no one to judge. Sure. I dance in a male strip group. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah. And I danced in a gay bar for three years to yeah. make my money in a speedo. Like, yeah. you know, I'm a victim of it as well. But... I see a lot of uh, girls and girls I know, and they post their what they do if they're sh- or for their part time job, and they dance in a club, and they dance in their underwear, and they dance yeah. in just a thong and some nipple tassels, and that's yeah. completely fine. But then I do think sometimes I look at it and I go, actually, you're putting yourself out there in a way which could actually affect yeah, you in the long run, yeah. because now you don't look like you want to dance for a little mix. You yeah. look like you want to dance in my strip group. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I do think it's gonna. I just think you you know, going back to the you are you are the product thing. You have to be thinking about how you're marketing yourself all the time, mm-hmm. and like I said, like we've just said, social media is so accessible to people that you are giving them an insight into everything. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, I think there'll be a, a, something that will go backwards soon. There'll be like an explosion where people start being a little bit more savvy and a bit more smart. Yeah. about the way that they market themselves or what their media presence is. I think there'll be a, a return to privacy at some yeah. point where people will be... I think mystique is more attractive anyway. Yeah. You know, trying not... Well, you don't know everything, it's, it's yeah. better. You know, when everything... Some people, like I say, live their life on social media, all their ups, their downs, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we've all come to realise that it doesn't work if, you, mm-hmm. if everybody knows too much. Yeah, I agree. But I do also think transparency is going to be a big thing because I do feel like a lot of people only show uh, the amazing side of life. Of course. The, edit, the edited the side edited of life. The edited version. The yeah. filtered. You know, yeah. uh, we do see that a lot and like we were talking about earlier on, um, people compare themselves to people. Mm-hmm. So people will look at, say, um, Sarah Thompson, made up a name yeah. off the top of my head. Sarah Thompson's life looks perfect. Yeah. She's always skinny. Yeah. She always has a tan. She's always she's in always bikinis. great light. She's always in bikinis on the <laughs> yeah. beach. Actually, yeah. those photos were when she went on a holiday for two months, and yeah. she's managed to spread them out throughout the year. Of the rest of the year, she's pale, cold, and yeah. really, really miserable with nothing <laughs> yeah. to do. But we don't see that. We compare ourselves. Mm. So I think showing, you know, being completely transparent and going to people, you know what? I do do all this awesome stuff, but, real. I'm, but I'm human as well, and yeah. shit isn't amazing all the time. Yeah. I think that's got such an appeal to it now. It has, yeah. I mean, it, it, again... Because then you can relate to something as opposed to compare yourself to something. Yeah, yeah. I just think that people will always put the best pictures of themselves up. A hundred percent. I see some unrecognisable pictures sometimes, like, wow, who's that? Do you see some, like, headshots and stuff, and then you meet them in people, and you're like... That is not yeah. the same person. Well, sort of, yeah. I think people have the 
the word's gone round that when people come to our auditions, you wear black um, and you need to, to look your best that day, boys and girls. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why we ask people to wear black, and I've, I've heard other agencies say, you know, in a sort of, in opposition to our decision to wear black, mm -hmm. they sort of say, no, you come and be who you are and, you know, don't feel like you have to wear black. And, but the reason for it is, is because when people wear black, we can project onto them whatever it is we need to see. That's exactly what I was going to say. And I've seen people come into auditions in their own choice of clothing and it suggests too much. Mm -hmm. It almost tells you too much about the character and suddenly you can't visualise. Even with creative vision, you can't visualise them because you think, oh, that's the girl that's the this or that's the boy that's the that. And I know certain choreographers who can make very swift judgments based on, a, on an outfit. And I've ended up having to say to people sometimes, just go and swap that top, just yeah. do something else, just go and put this on or you know, lose that jacket or whatever, because they're almost doing themselves out of a job by what they're choosing. With black clothing, you can't really go wrong. And if we're trying to visualize what they're gonna look like as a troupe, they already sort of look like one. And when they're when they're all together in a room, so you it, it, you've put them in costume already, kind of. And you yeah. Can make your... Yeah. Or you can, or you say, okay, well, you know, as a group, they they've got sort of something that hang, brings them all together, and it's worked. Mm -hmm. So it's not about us trying to say to people come to audition, you know, release your identity for the day. We need you to be a blank canvas because I like individuals. I like seeing people. But you can do that with your hair and your I don't, makeup. Yeah, I don't think costume needs to show your individuality. Mm -hmm. You're your smile should show your individuality, your energy, your charisma, your right. saying hello to someone and whether it's warm or cold or you're confident or not, that should be able to I think, tell yeah, there is person. enough. there is enough things that you bring to the room without having to come in costume. And I think that the, the people that have before have almost distracted from the things that's important, which is their dance ability and, you know, what they look like. And that that is, you know, that's why we do it. And I, I don't think we've ever been asked in a situation like this that you've got me in now, why we do it, it's just gone out there in the industry and always wear black. Yeah. And that's why I think we've been at times criticised for it, I think. But, you know, what I always want to be is consistent, mm -hmm. you know, and for us, when we go to do something now, people have come to know who we are, what we like, what we want to do, and we don't want to suddenly change that up just on a whim because we think we're, you know, tramping on people's individuality. Yeah, you know? I think it's great to hear for dancers to hear it from your perspective. Because mm -hmm. I think as dancers, and you know, I, I was and am one, we all have our own perception of things. And we mm -hmm. all assume stuff without actually knowing. You know, and now you're in a position, I'd love to ask you more questions on the agency side of stuff sure. and how agents work. Because I think, you know, agents have their side of the world and we have our side of the world, and it's normally just through email. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you, what, what's your favourite way to communicate with your clients? Do you like it when they email you? Do you want to hear from them often? Do you want them to stay in touch if they go on holiday or come home? I remember when I was in, in LA, obviously you're exclusive, you have one agent. Yeah. I, I had to tell my agent if I was taking shit. Yeah. Like, they needed to know where I was and what I was doing at all times to yeah. make sure that they could put me up for stuff or they couldn't. Or they wanted to know if I was on holiday. I had to block out when I was in the country and when I wasn't. Yeah. Uh, if they hadn't heard from me from two weeks, they'd email me and go, What's where are up? you? Where are you? Uh, do you know what, Kane? I, 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 and it's the same in Australia as well. I think it's the best 
way to represent people is to have that situation that what you have in America. It's the right way. Um, we've been going 17 years this year, mm -hmm. so I've seen a lot of agencies come and go in that time. Um, some of the agencies were, that were around when we first started aren't here anymore. But there was no rule about opening an agency. You know, you could just do it if that's what you wanted mm -hmm. to do. And as a result, I think everybody that got old, got injured, had a baby, um, you know, decided that they, they maybe weren't the greatest performer, suddenly were like, right, we're gonna, we're gonna open an agency. And what then ensued was um, prices for dancers, you know, the fees and rates never really progressed because as one agency would, would pitch for something, another one pitch underneath them and charge less, still happens which you know we've we've ended up trying to keep a certain ceiling rate that we'll stick to so that we won't go beyond below that and what is that so people can hear it so when they get offered a job sure <laughs> what, that they know that oh what, shit what's getting right <laughs> well i personally think that um you know i'd like rehearsal fees to be around the sort of 175 mark mm -hmm. but depending on the amount of days of rehearsals it could go down to 150 but I know Miranda, who works in my office, won't accept anything below that. Mm -hmm. um, it means we lose jobs sometimes, actually, because we're not, we, we sort of won't fit with their budget because we think that should be, shouldn't be any less than that. Mm -hmm. uh, because once people have had commission taken off and you all that, then they've, and they've travelled to work every day, <laughs> then it's not really fair. Um, our lowest um, show fee, show day fee, is £250. But any time that we can get more than that, some of the teeth, like we just did Britain's Got Talent, and you know those type of shows. There's a buyout fee on top of that, mm -hmm. so I think it works out around four hundred and fifty or something. Yeah. I actually don't do the account, so I'm not sure, but it's around that. But I don't think it should be anything less than two hundred and fifty pounds for um, uh, a shoot day or a show day or, or whatever. Um, and you know, if there's more, then the better. But it shouldn't dip below that. Yeah, because I see a lot on um, you know the group like the hustle mm -hmm. and all these things. People. Oh, I need a dancer to come and do this gig. It's one fifty for the show and fifty quid for a rehearsal. Right. And then they'll go, but the rehearsal's only half a day. Yeah, but and then you can't take another job. You that can't day. take another job. Yeah. So it's like, especially if you're travelling an hour to get there. And, and, and I understand all dancers have to make make a living. And I understand if you're the person who's struggling and you go, if I do this, I can pay my rent. Mm. However, I feel like people don't realise the consequences that when they take that. They're then making that an acceptable fee for their next job. Sure, because that production company thinks, well, that's what we paid last time. That's all we're going to budget for, and it, it's a vicious circle. And I and I've seen agencies do it. Mm -hmm. You know, they've they've desperately wanted the job for whatever prestige or whatever, so they've bid underneath. Mm -hmm. I remember even a company doing it with the BBC, and BBC have set rates, mm -hmm. and they pitched underneath for the BBC rate just to get the gig. Yeah, which. You know, the only people that they carried on taking the same amount of commission, but the people who, you know, ended up at the wrong end of it were the dancers who ended up having to work for less. And that, to me, doesn't make sense. And it, it doesn't help the industry as a whole, as you say, you know, production companies we're always battling with to say, no, we have to, we have to charge more money for them. For these, you know, dancers are human beings. They need yeah. to pay their rent, they need to pay their mortgages, you know. So. And then my other fear is actually on the other spectrum, where maybe an agency is getting 
four fifty for a dancer yeah. and going to the dancer, oh we've got you two fifty. Yeah. We've got your wage and then pocketing I the rest. I have to say in the entire time that we've we've worked, that's never been a situation with us. I think we're happy to show dancers contracts. We're happy to see, you know, quite often, you know, it would be a very risky thing to do because you, if you, if we're not physically at the production, everyone's going to talk anyway and they'd find out, yeah. which would be just stupid, you know. So I don't understand when people do that. I know it happens, but you know, all we can be is is as transparent as possible, mm-hmm. and. I guess that's why we're still going, you know. Well, yeah, longevity shows. Yeah, I think if you, if you're trying, if you're out to cheat people all the time, um, then it, you know it comes back on you at some point. There's a karma, yeah. karmic element to it. Cutting well, corners always bites you in the ass. Yeah, I've, and I've, you know, I've, don't get me wrong. I've been aware of it a lot, and then people come and complain and moan to me and say, "Oh, this happened with this person," and unfortunately, it, you, you know, you said this thing about how much we want to hear from a dancer. Um, I think in the industry, people aren't used to having that type of relationship you just talked about with your American agent, with agents in the UK, because they don't have it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I have always said that I will match 100% what anyone gives me. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's in touch with us and keeps us informed or lets us know what's going on with their career, then I will always reply. I will always um, you know, get back to them or spark conversation with them or whatever because I think that's courtesy. I learned that from Arlene Phillips mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't matter how busy she is or how much she's got on the go or you know all the amazing accolades she's had in her career, she always gets back to you. Yeah. And I think that's you know perfect manners. And so you know some dancers want more than just representation, they want nurturing, they want guidance for their career, they want advice. And we'll be that to them, but then I also know there's a culture of dancers who just don't expect it and don't ask for it, mm-hmm. and they'll go away for three months and not tell you. So when you come to put them up for a job, we've got this whole dance we have to do where we, are you available? No, I'm not here. Thank you for asking me. We wouldn't need to do that if they were in more contact. Yeah. We've actually started a new thing, which a lot of the acting agencies have, which is called Tagmin. Mm-hmm. And basically, you can put on there all of your details, everything about you know your everything from your measurements through to your bank details through everything that you would need um and your calendar so every time you get jobs not necessarily with us we put your jobs on the calendar but any jobs you get from other agencies we put it on there and it's so helpful to not have to waste our time and your time by calling you when you're not available because we already know if you are or not Mm -hmm. so we won't put you forward for things in that time and it really works i mean we've only literally started it about maybe two months but it's also in line with the new gdpr rules yeah which means that we can't hold people's information without their permission so we had to wipe all of our files of everything like get rid of everything that we had on people until they've given us a new contract to say that they gave us permission to look after their their stuff and then therefore that all their stuff would be on tagmin which is private to us you know no one else can see it apart from us and them mm-hmm. And it works, but I also think it's increasing communication between the people we've got. I, I don't know how the other agencies work, but we've only got, at any given time, roughly about 100 guys and 100 girls in our books. Mm-hmm. And I've kept that deliberately small. And the reason for that is is that really, I should be able to say 10 things about every single person I represent. Mm-hmm. I don't want there to be faceless 
pictures on the website that I just don't know those people. Pictures of 15 years old. Yeah, and also I, I need to know what the, your skills are. Miranda needs to know what your skills are. We need to know how to market you. Can you tap? Can you, can you sing? Can you do all these different things? Where did you train? How old are you? How tall are you? You know, all these different things. We need to know that. And if you've got 500 people on your books or you pick somebody up who sent their photos and you just put them on the website, you can't possibly know that. You don't know, that's not representation in the mm -hmm. true sense of the word. So, in the last sort of, you know, five, six years, we've kept our books as exclusive as we can keep them. Because sometimes we have, you know, if we're doing a big job and there's 60 dancers on it or 40 dancers, suddenly we've, we're low on people, yeah. you know, we're hunting dancers down. Um, but it's better for me and better for Miranda because we feel that we know who everybody is. And that I think is representation. Yeah. And I, I would love for it to switch to the American. Um, Me too. I don't thing. think it'll happen anytime soon. Well, I don't but. think it will. I mean, it, the only thing you can be, and I've come to, you know, realise this and sort of stop beating on about the fact that we're not America or Australia, yeah, yeah. is to be the things that you think are the elements that they, they have. Yeah. yeah. And so you know, there's lots of people who we represent, who we're in constant contact with. Mm -hmm. Same way, you know, that you just said you were with your agent, and we've, we've been like that. But I think it's the older ones that it's not by any fault of their own, they just don't expect it because they've mm -hmm. never had it anywhere else. Yeah. They know that it's, they are self-employed and they you know, swing in out of those doors of those agencies. Mm -hmm. They don't have anybody maybe there who's got a real interest in them, any type of career development advice for them because they just get booked for the job and that's yeah. it. Um, so, yeah, I think us adding a sort of very slight management strand to mm -hmm. people's careers has paid off because people now seem to be, we seem to be the ones that people come to ask advice to, do you know Which, what I mean? Yeah, I think the only way that we're gonna, I don't think we can affect people who have been in the industry for six, seven, ten years. You know, no. I don't think we're gonna change their mindset. No, sure. But I think what we can do is the people who are graduating college and leaving college, we can, within the next, say ten years has gone by, by the time that ten years has happened, we can have made that change. We can have applied that this is how you should communicate with your agent. Agreed. And when I first moved to London, by the time I was 21, I believe I had like 11 agents. Yeah. I mean, I probably only ever spoke to three of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I think it was you, Jerry and AMCK that I've that I probably only ever worked for more than twice. Mm -hmm. You know, all the others, oh, we'll sign you because we need you for a job. Of course. You know, and then boom, they're gone. Yeah. Never hear from them since because that job's done. Yeah. Where you're on a job and they want... Uh, they want to represent you on, on that job, so they're in contact with you. Yes. You know, um, so I feel like dancers now, you know, everyone's bringing up an agency and they go and go to this agency audition, this agency audition, this agency audition. And it, I think it's great for them to be seen by everyone, but what are they gaining from that representation? I believe that they're just going to be a name on a piece of paper or, or in an email or in a, a file somewhere that... That doesn't make you feel very valued may, though, I guess. Never be contacted. Yeah. There's zero value in it. No. And like we were saying earlier, as a dancer, you're, you're going and you're putting your everything, you're putting everything you've ever worked for in front of someone that you don't know. Sure. And they're going, yeah, yeah, we'll take you, cool, and they're sticking you in a locker, yeah. and they're never hearing from you again. Yeah. Well, there's no value to that. 
I, and also as well, there's a lot of time wasted being sent for things that you're not suitable for. You 100%. know, I mean, you've probably been to countless castings where you've gone, well, what am I doing here? Why I don't I even here? know. What, I, I'm, this is completely not me. I auditioned for Peter Andre three times and got to the very, very end, and then they go, we don't want a ginger person. I think I've that might here. have been for the best. <laughs> I've been here for six hours. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. what do you mean? You only just decided you don't want a ginger yeah. person. You know, like, mind blown. Yeah. I. I yeah, you just have to know the people that you've got on your books, and that's and I and like I said, I think I've got good relationships with about eighty percent of them, and then some of them, like I said, are just lone wolves that will do their own thing, and you know, and that's fine because that's the mm -hmm. way they've grown, and they do tend to be the older ones. Um, but yeah, I I t totally agree. I think the new ones coming up, if we can make a change, you know, and we can get them into a sort of rhythm. I mean, I I have got a bugbear with dancers who aren't on their admin. Because, you know, I, I came from a performance background, but I always had a brain and I always was very on it and efficient and mm -hmm. used a diary and, you know, I knew yeah. what I was doing. And, I've, and I get frustrated sometimes with dancers who sometimes complain about not being respected and not being taken seriously or whatever, but they can't use their diary. And they can't get, make a phone call, you know, they yeah. can't get back to you for three days or they don't have their CV up to date or they don't, they've got no marketing material or their photos are awful. And I just think, well, this is the job as well. You yeah. know, it's not just about five, six, seven, eight. It's not like about being in a dance studio. It's also about getting yourself into position, you know, to be a professional. Yeah, you're, and, you're, you're your own business, you know. Exactly, you're running your business. So I, I get frustrated with that sometimes. And again, I'm trying to sort of turn the tide a little bit by, I, I, I mean, I can forgive everybody for it because you're not taught it. You know, at colleges, there should be these lessons. I mean, some colleges will come forward now and go, we do say it, but I don't think they do totally because I think a lot of colleges don't really understand the commercial industry. Mm -hmm. They understand musical theatre, they understand dance companies, you know, ballet companies, contemporary companies, but the actual day-to-day -day running of a, of a, of a self-employed person in the commercial dance industry, they can't teach it because they don't know. You were just saying before that at Wilkes, you've been sort of pulling up some of the students and giving them advice and telling them, but the, we, that needs to be a lesson. Yeah, that, that needs to be to sit there, down, there should be get your books out. In their schedule for the week. Yeah. Then every, this week we're going to talk about tax. Yeah. This week we're going to talk about headshots. Exactly. This week we're going to talk about auditions. Yeah. This week. And it might be the boring lesson, you know, but it's something that they but definitely it's need. the one that's going to keep you working. Lesson. Exactly. <laughs> and also give you the, you know, the spirit to keep going sometimes, you know, Someone said to me the other day, they just got off a ship and they were like, I'm unemployed. And I was like, I don't often hear commercial dancers say unemployed. They might say, I haven't got any work for two weeks till my next job. But unemployed sort of makes you sound like you're, you know, you're really struggling for some reason. And yeah. I know dancers that would never consider themselves out of work, but they have gaps in between ah. their jobs. And it just was a different way. And I said, right, stop saying unemployed. Yeah, it makes you sound shit. Yeah, <laughs> stop saying that. You need to start thinking, okay, my next thing is X, whatever yeah. it's going to be, and work towards that. And But don't have this head space that you're unemployed and you're unemployable. And, you know, you it, it, it sort of almost is sort of setting you up for a fall before yeah. you even start it. Um, a big, I know I keep coming back to it, but my whilst I was in LA, it was the biggest life changer for me. Every day that yeah. I wasn't on a job, I was figuring out how to get on a job. Yeah. Every day I wasn't getting paid to work, I was working on me. Yeah. You know, I was in class, I was going to the gym, I was trying to learn new skills, 
I was contacting people, I was on LA casting, I was, you know, awesome. figuring out, trying to meet new people, trying yeah. to figure out, figure out me, mm. you know, and what, what I'm going to be able to offer and what I'm going to be able to sell and work on that. I think people think, as a dancer, you think you're working if you're actually going to a rehearsal or going to a show. Sure. But you should be working from your bedroom. You should be working wherever you are. You should exactly. probably not be going to eat Burger King four days a week. You should be probably cooking food because in the long run, that's working for you. Yeah. That's working on yourself, which is the part that you're trying to sell. And it paid off for you, right? Yeah, yeah. massively. You know, that's, what, that's what people need. They need to see the example and then see how it worked. You know, I think when you came back, you, were the, you weren't the dancer that you left. Oh, you know, you okay with, and that that you know is a testament to your hard work and all your dedication when you were there. And I, I love seeing that. I love seeing it when people you know grow. But I also see a lot of people stagnate, and they they think because they have graduated, that's their training done. Mm -hmm. they rarely go to class. Yeah. You know, like you said, they just they work job to job. They don't do anything to help themselves. There's a guy actually who I, who I always think of, and he started off. He looks great, but he wasn't the strongest dancer. And then he never continued to work on himself because he started booking jobs anyway. And I just thought it was such a shame because there was loads of it's potential and he never really got any better after that. And it was a shame. But I, that's something that I think that you can never do enough. You never stop training. You ne you're never a finished product, ever. No. You know? See, mine was the other way around. I remember, I remember everyone going to me, BB, Glen Ball, mm -hmm. Jerry, I remember everyone going to me, you're actually a really good dancer, but you know you need to work on your image. Because mm. I was a chubby, greasy, eighteen-year-old. <laughs> you weren't chubby. I don't know. Really bleached blonde hair. Yeah. You know, and it was like, oh, what? And everyone going, you know, it's not just about dance; it's about how you look. It's everything. I remember literally. I had no money. I couldn't afford a gym membership. I did Athlean X, yeah. uh, six-minute abs twice a day yeah. without fail every single day. We'd have barbecues at our house, and everyone would be eating burgers and stuff, yeah. and I'd be going. Right, where's the lettuce and cucumber? <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately, I did it all the wrong way. I didn't do it yeah. at first the healthiest way. Yeah. But I didn't know how to do it any other way. We didn't have the internet like we do now and social media like we do now. Yeah. You can learn stuff and learn so quickly. But, you know, the whole goal was just to make sure that I was, I was ready, you yeah. know? And I wanted to be the best version of Kane that I could be. If you wanted a five foot eight pasty ginger guy, I was <laughs> that guy, you know? Like... And it was, it was the ultimate goal, and I feel like now people are quite easy to just go, eh, okay, yeah. you know, oh, okay. Don't Don't see what it. comes. Yeah, something else will come in. Yeah. And it's like, no, you've got to like, you've got yeah. to make well, yourself that product. I, I'm proud that you, that you did that and you took it on because it worked. And that, that's the whole point. I just feel like everyone needs to identify that there's always something to work on. Mm. You're, all, you're never finished. You're oh. never finished. I don't, I don't feel like, at my age, I don't feel like I'm finished. I'm still ambitious. I still there's loads of things I want to do. I want to get better at things. I'm not, you know. I never think, you know, I've arrived. I'm finished. I'm done. I've, you know, I feel I'm just starting. It's hard for people who are younger than me to think that, um, you know, that things don't change. You know, they do change. Oh, they you know, you, you want and you want to embrace the change. You want to keep doing things differently. You want, you know, I, I'm actually. I don't know why, but in the last two years, I feel more ambitious about dancers than I have for ages. I don't know why. I feel like I've got the, the determination back, and I think it's because I can see change in different areas, and I, that inspire, inspires me. Do you me. see a new value within yourself that you can offer? 
Um, yeah, wisdom, I think, from, <laughs> from an experience. Because I feel like if I've, I've been doing this, running the agency for 17 years, but I actually started an agency when I was 20 years old, um, which was a kids' agency. And I started it with a lady that worked at the BBC for 20 years. And I had to really learn how to be an agent. You know, mm-hmm. I was on like a crash course with her, and she was very, very by the book. So we, we, you know, we had to learn everything about contract law and all that type of thing. So, and that was before I'd really had a career. Really, that was we we started this agency almost by mistake, and it it took off, and we had kids and TV shows and things like that. But I had to learn how to be an agent at that point. Mm-hmm. And one of my most famous people was Fern Cotton, was one of our first, um, you know, people in our books. So really, I've been an agent for 22 years. You know, we've yeah. been doing Dancers Inc. for 17 years, but I've been an agent for 22. I've been in, involved in agencies and agency life. And if I can't give um, experience back to mm-hmm. people, you know, who are, you know, what was it all for? It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's why I feel sort of, you know, like I can speak on something like this. Like I have got something to say because I've learned a lot of stuff. You know, like you have in your career, but it's the same. I've I've learned a lot of stuff. I sometimes worry when dancers uh, join agencies or they work with choreographers who you know put them through a job, and they go abroad with that job, and they encounter all sorts of issues with wherever it is they're meant to be staying, flights, um, you know, the safety conditions when they get onto the job and what have you, and that is when you need an agent. Yeah. Because you need, we've had, you know, occasions, not recently, but over the years where someone's arrived in a country, the car hasn't come to pick them up, they've got to the digs and it's like a slum, mm-hmm. and, you know, and we're on 24-7 call-out at that point. Yeah. You know, any time anyone works in the evening for us, or works at the weekend, or is abroad, we're on call. It doesn't matter what we're doing, whether we're on holiday, it doesn't make any difference. We have to be ready to take that call, because our responsibility as an agent doesn't stop at 6pm, when our office closes, we have to be on call. And I feel like sometimes people who are great networkers get these gigs, send people abroad with no um, understanding of what could go wrong. Mm-hmm. And your agent really is there for you when things go wrong. You know, we've all done jobs and it's great. Everything from start to finish has been smooth. You know, it's been, it's been no problem at all. And then, you know, you pay your commission or whatever and sometimes people think, what am I paying it for really? Because Actually, it, this, we've done this gig 10 times and it's always fine, but it's the 11th time when something goes wrong yeah. and that you need your agent for. We've been in lots of situations where we've had to really leap to the defence of a dancer that's been injured or you know, fight a corner for them or even small stuff like, like I said with accommodation or things like that. You always have to be there for them. And when you aren't a proper agent, when you haven't had that experience and you're sending people abroad to do jobs, or even anywhere in the UK, there was a massive risk, mm-hmm. massive risk of, of basically non-knowledge from those people. They don't know enough about what they're meant to be doing. And looking after six people on a job is a lot of responsibility. That's six human beings yes. you've got to be responsible for. It's not just a case of, well, we'll just send them away, they're on a the job. And that is why I think it's important for dancers to go through an agent because you've always got that person to fight your corner if, it, if the need, you know, if it comes up. I think that's great for dancers to hear because I do believe that a lot of dancers are afraid of a, their agent. Sure. You know, and they go, oh, I can't tell them that. They'll tell me off. Mm. And, I mean, I'm an opinionated shit. 
Do you know what I mean? It works for me and sometimes against me. Of but mine was always, yeah, but don't forget, they also work for us. That's absolutely it's, it's right. It's a two-way thing. If I'm not happy with how something's working, mm. you're my point of contact. Yeah. So if I don't tell you, it's irrelevant if you're going to be annoyed at me because then I'm an unhappy human. Yeah. You know, like... We don't, the, we don't want people to be unhappy on jobs. We want people... I, I think that sometimes, you know, dancers... Because they're treated badly on some things, they sort of expect that from everything. Yeah. And some jobs are, you know, wonderful. They they mm-hmm. great experiences. You're performing to sixty thousand people in an arena or a stadium or whatever, and it, it's an amazing job. It's, it can be mm-hmm. really really cool. But if you've been treated badly once, you tend to think that it's going to be the same all the time. I don't believe in treating dancers badly. I think, you know, everybody deserves respect. And if you are working with them, you know, it is a two-way thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we work for them, but they also represent, represent us. Yes. And, you know, I, the only thing I would ever say, you know, is that I always want people to not get into big confrontations on jobs, mm-hmm. not get into situations where they have to feel like they have to fight their battle with a stage manager or, a, or somebody in the wardrobe department or something like that. I always say, come to us then. <laughs> as bougie as it sounds, say, yeah. I'm calling my agent. <laughs> yeah, or, or just don't say anything, just go off and do it. Yeah. And then we'll take that call and we'll find out. But what we also have to use from the benefit of our experience is sometimes that some battles aren't worth fighting. Yeah. You know, by the very nature of our business, we're surrounded by highly strung individuals who work in entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, people that can be by nature just dramatic and a little bit sort of short with people at times, especially if there's a... Uh, it's a live TV show or it's a big show that's going up, people are on their nerves, they're a little bit, you know, and maybe that your costume isn't their main priority, Yeah. you know, they're not so worried about that because they've got 45 million people about to tune in worldwide, so don't pick your battles, Mm -hmm. and if people phone us and they say to us, this has happened on the gig, we have to be able to say, that's an urgent thing, Mm -hmm. that's the thing where you're in danger, We'll fight that for you. And and it's being able to differentiate the difference between the danger and it just being an issue. Yeah, let's like just trou- get through this one. Trousers making you look like a dickhead <laughs> yeah. isn't danger. Shoes that might kill you isn't yeah. danger. Yeah, sure. They're both costume issues, but they're two very different issues. That's exactly right. Me backflipping in a stiletto yeah. or me wearing flare jeans, one's dangerous, one's not. Yeah. But I think people don't realise the difference. In- <laughs> no, well, I think, I think as well, as you get older you know, in your career and you've done a lot of things, sometimes you just think, okay, it's not my colour, but I'm going to wear it. You know, I'm just going to just get through this, you know, and that, but when you're younger, sometimes you don't realise that that's, or, you know, we've, you've all been on those jobs where you walk into the job and your dressing room is a corridor, you know, and you've got the, you've got one toilet between 40 people, you know, Mm -hmm. I think people, dancers sometimes can take that personally. There's no personal reason behind it. It's just, it's, it's insensitive and, and not been thought out, but it's not been done in a sort of vindictive way. Mm-hmm. I think a lot, of, a lot of times when people are on call sheets and they see a number of dancers, 20 dancers, wherever, they are just a name on a call sheet. And we have to keep reminding them, no, these are real people. Yeah. You know, they need to eat at a certain time and mm-hmm. you have to give them a break. They've got to have a drink from time to time. They've got to have access to a bathroom. You know, and these are things that are forgotten about, but there's never anything spiteful behind it. It's mm-hmm. just... And I imagine these are, these things come up a lot. Every job. Like every job, I'm sure these things come up Yeah, a lot. I mean, it, don't get me wrong, we work for some amazing production companies who are really on the ball, 
you know, they think of everything, you know, we don't have to tell them anything because they're already on it, you know, but then you do get the ones that you maybe haven't booked dancers before. Yeah. You know, we, I did a job personally myself in Germany um, last year and we didn't have a dressing room for five people, <laughs> six people, because I was there, seven people, it was wardrobe, sorry. And we were in this space that like, you could probably put a small dog in and hope for the best that it was going to be all right yeah. but we were like crammed into it doing seven shows a day and that was our only space yeah and they just hadn't thought of it they just have, forgot have you ever had any scenarios where you're like how is this fucking humanly possible oh god like what's the worst scenario you've had that you can think, think of um probably night shoots and stuff yeah you know or or location where people have just forgot about the temperature and you know they've factored everything in. They've got a great location. It looks really cool. But there is nowhere to go where people can get warm, and you want them to dance. <laughs> and their muscles are seizing up, and they're having to do take after take after take, and they're freezing cold, and they've just not thought about it. They've got nothing. And you know, if it's somewhere off the beaten track, there's nowhere to even get any blankets or anything. <sighs> so yeah, I mean, there's things like that that have happened, and I can't think of one occasion, but I can think of lots of times where people have just forgot. Like I said, that dancers are humans and they need yeah. looking after and sustenance and care and what have you. And also, um, if there's an artist, and I'm not talking about the major artists or the really great people that we've worked with in the time, sometimes on a video they are the priority yeah. and everything will be thought about for them and it won't be thought about for the dancers. And that's a shame because they sort of don't, they put them in a slightly different category, but the dancers are what's making the video look great too, yeah. you know, and they need consideration, they need to be thought about. But it's, I think before, when I was younger, I used to take it personally. I used to think, Me too. Why, I used to think, why, why have they not thought this? It's not fair. And I'd be like really, you know, militant about it. Now I just realise that people need educating sometimes. If you've been there, if you're a production assistant, it's your first job, you probably just didn't know. Yeah. And then now we, that's our job to go, actually, this is how it should be. Yeah. You know, this is how we, this is how you look after your cast, mm -hmm. you know. Um, does that all make sense? No, <laughs> no, definitely. It's just good for people to hear because them hearing it from you, it's going to reassure people and make people go, oh, actually, this is not okay or this is okay and this is where I stand. You don't always have to put up with things. I think, like I said, if something hasn't been thought about, and you phone us, like sometimes people will phone us from wherever it is, whether it's the, the job or the hotel or the, the, the on-site, whatever it is, they call us. And they have to remember immediately that we're not there, so we can't see. Yeah. We don't know how bad it is or what's, mm -hmm. you know, how good it is even, we just don't know. Um, and then we have to take that from you and get as much information as possible and then go, right, we'll look into it now. You know, we'll try and find out. And that's what we do, but I have to say, 90% of what we do goes very smoothly. I, yeah. I can't think of you know any occasions, for, particularly recently, where there's been disasters. Mm. I think you know we've sort of got past that. I think in the pre-production side of it, we tend to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. You know, so we sort of know what's happening. As you're on pre-production side, what happens with things like payment? Mm -hmm. So. You know how like when you go for, say a builder goes for a job and they get they quote a price yeah. and they go, it's going to cost you X amount, but I need X amount up front so I can buy the materials and do all this, this and this yeah. to go towards it. How does that work in the dance world? Does, did, does the production company just hire a studio, the dancers do all the work and payment happens after? Does prepay happen? Because I was always 
baffled by how sometimes you get paid within a week. Yeah. Sometimes you get paid within six months. Yeah. <laughs> and it never quite under- registered to me why, because in no, not many other industries, yeah. does that happen. Sure. But in this, it's a very regular thing where it's just up in the air. I think the first thing to identify is that, there's, that, when, that especially for us, we don't just work with one company, we work with 10, 12, you know, more. loads of companies, you know, in different, different fields. Some of the, product, the TV production companies have a set 30 or 60 day mm-hmm. payment schedule. And that's how they keep hold of their money, yeah. you know, because they, or they keep hold of their interest because they don't, once they've done the job, they hold on to it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so that immediately you can be faced with something like that, that you've, you've got a schedule that you can't argue with. Yeah. And they won't uh, put you into the system until you've submitted your invoice. So we always submit our invoices on the day of the job. Mm-hmm. Because you never know, there could be somebody that pulls out or whatever, or whatever. Yeah. so the, it won't be accurate until the day of the job. Mm-hmm. So then we would invoice. Um, some people have got their budgets already lined up, ready to go. It's mm-hmm. so they'll pay you immediately. Mm-hmm. When I do corporate productions, we when it gets booked, we charge them fifty percent on booking. Mm-hmm. So that means that if for whatever reason they suddenly decided they weren't going to pay or whatever, we've got some funds that we could you know, cover the production or whatever. But then we ask for payment on the day of the job or the day before as clear funds. Mm-hmm. So that means we can pay everybody either on the day or the next day, which is a great feeling because you know, it's, it's all done, dusted, yeah. you've done the job, everyone's smiling and they've got a thing. But like I said, every production company is different. Sometimes the record companies are very difficult because each single is almost like a company to them. Mm-hmm. And if that single doesn't do very well, then that's almost like a company going bust. Yeah. And then you've got to sort of fight for the money to get mm-hmm. it back off them. People like BBC, ITV are great to work with because- Contracted. So they're contracted, they know, you know that they're good for the money. Yeah. They're not gonna go bust. Yeah. You know, they are regular payers that, that, you know. But I think as well, from an admin perspective, um, you have to really, really be on it. You know, we've got great accountants now, but years ago we had a terrible accountant who was awful at, uh, you know, managing things. And we realised that you just need, that's so important. You need somebody who really knows what they're yeah. doing and what's going on. Because I think as a dancer, I face that a lot. Like, I think everybody does. Like, yeah. Of course. Yeah. And the amount of times I'd be like, oh, I've done four jobs in the past two weeks. You know, I'll, I'll get paid by the end of the month. I can pay my rent. Yeah. I can go out to freedom and have a yeah. good night with the friends yeah. and then six weeks later I'm Still ringing good. my nan like can I borrow another 300 quid please yeah I think <laughs> I think we've become known now that we're probably the only agency to chase people to get their invoices in because if we have our invoices in ready to go when we get paid we can pay immediately mm-hmm. um, it's when people like somebody uh, the other day sent an invoice in that was four months late now we've got the money but they haven't put the invoice in we can't pay without one but they, they just obviously didn't need money. it. <laughs> exactly, they didn't, they, uh, you know, it was just lingering. But, you know, if, if we're on it, we hope that you're going to be on it. Because, yeah. you know, I think sometimes people think if you're holding on to money, it's helping you. But it doesn't help, it's not our mm-hmm. money. We have an agency account for our yeah. clients and we have our current account. And when we get paid by a client, it goes into our agency account. Mm-hmm. So it's not our money to play with, essentially. Yeah. So it's just how quickly you can get your invoice in. But... I, I don't think we've had, well, we had, actually, I tell a lot, but say we, we were involved in um, a film 
last year, I think it was last year, mm -hmm. um, and they asked me to get involved in casting, and it and there was lots of Hollywood yeah, stars. I, I was in it. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> there was lots of Hollywood people in it. And you did the two-day rehearsal, and then... Yeah, and they... The, it turns out the man that, that was putting it together was like a complete con man. He, he, somebody walked off the set the day we did our first day there who was owed £300,000 or something. And I suddenly thought, okay, this isn't right. But what they had told us was that, that it was an equity contract. Mm -hmm. And an equity contract means that the funds are held in escrow, which means whatever happens, if anything goes down, the money's there. The money's ready to go. That was the only reason I accepted it. And when that guy walked off the set, who was nothing to do with us, but I was like, oh, hold on, something's not right. I kept going back to them and saying, look, because we had more dates in the diary. Yeah. And they kept saying, no, it's fine, it's fine. And it turned out they didn't have any money. And we had to chase them for months and months and months. And it was awful. It's never happened to us before. But I also was sort of led into it by a choreographer who said, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. We'd never worked with this person before, but she was, telling everybody it was fine, it was fine, and it just wasn't. No. And it was really disappointing. It was, it probably took, I mean, in times of office hours and time, it was completely distressing. And also I felt bad for a lot of the people. I wasn't involved in the production as some, mm -hmm. such. I helped them find some dancers. But for all the people that were involved in it, not just the dancers, all the crew. Yeah, everyone. Everybody that worked on it and believed in it and pushed it forward. It was a proper cowboy job. <laughs> but nobody was paid. Nobody yeah. was. And it was, it was very disappointing. But, but it's, it's bizarre that nothing, you know, something on such a huge scale, mm. something which had such a production put into it and so much time and, you know, like you obviously know as well, I know dancers which rehearsed weeks for it. Yeah. Like I only did two rehearsals for it. Yeah. I think we did four days in the end on it, but there was another choreographer that worked on it as well who had their own set of dancers, yeah. nothing to do with us. And I was trying to get in, the, in, in touch with them saying, is this legit? Mm. You know, because otherwise you're just sort of leading people off the gangplank onto yeah. a job that they're never going to get paid for. And it was really, you know, it was very difficult. The guy kept saying to people, the way he was keeping them at bay, the producer was by saying, if you jeopardise the production by taking us to court, no one will ever get paid. So everyone was thinking, okay, we'll back off a bit because he's obviously still trying to raise the money and it's going to happen, so we'll yeah. get paid. But he had no intention, he had no, you know. It's just it's crazy how nothing like that can be taken to, oh, I'm sure maybe it did get taken to court, I don't know. But He vanished. And <laughs> came, unfortunately in this industry, there are lots of people that do and that work really hard and are grafters mm. and are as good as their word and are genuine and all that. They're the doers and then you've got a lot of talkers. Yeah. And people have to be able to identify the talkers. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I've been fooled by it before and I think I'm quite astute, but I've been, I've, I've been caught out by people who tell you one thing and then you realise that they're just talking complete rubbish. Yeah. And you know, for, for however long you've believed them, mm -hmm. And they're always the ones that say they've got loads of money or they're going to invest in this or invest in that and they're not genuine people. Even when it comes to teaching now, it's happened to me so many times where someone will book me to go and teach a workshop mm -hmm. and then two days before they cancel and I'm like, I've turned down work for yeah. this. Yeah. You know, because like, I've stayed loyal to you. So now what I've started doing is taking the deposit. Yeah. I go, cool, you, even if it's 50 quid, 25 quid, whatever you take, if they put something in, they're less willing to back out. Do you know what I mean? If of course, and if they're genuine people, they won't have a problem with it. Of course. They'll just go, okay, that's fine, we've secured the book in. But I think dancers, 
we're so um, eager. You know, we're very passionate. We're very hungry. And you don't want and, to upset people. I and, that. And ninety nine point eight percent of us aren't money driven. Yeah. We never did this job to be rich. No, you're passionate. You know, you do it for the passion. You do it for love. So. You don't even consider that you're going to get cowboyed. You don't even consider that someone would do that to you. Mm -hmm. But I think dancers need to be smart now. And like we were saying earlier, you're a business. Yeah. So if no matter what is going to, have your back. Yeah. Keep your emails. Um, I, f I keep all my emails. Of yeah, every agent I've ever had. I keep every single email just in Twice. case. Just in case something goes in the air. I keep every single invoice just in case something goes in the air. So I can go, actually, on this day in 2009, mm. you, you just never know. That, well, that's smart. I mean, I agree. Dancers do need to be on their game. And like I said, you know, like I mentioned before about being on your admin. But smart and determined is not ruthless. It doesn't have to be the same thing. No. You can be smart and determined and astute and, and making sure that you've got everything covered. That doesn't mean you have to trample over everybody. No, of Ruthless isn't the same thing. No. And I feel that people sometimes think, right, no one's going to mess with me. I'm in charge, I'm, you know, no one's mm -hmm. going to get one over me. And there is, there is a balance because you can't expect that everybody is the same. No. You know, some people, you know, are just are very genuine. And, mm -hmm. are, and I've had to learn that because yeah. I, I've gone through those moments where I'm like, you know, no one's going to get me down. I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. And you sort of forge forward. But actually, there are some great people out there too who are just wanting to do great work appreciate dancers, appreciate the hard work, maybe have come from dance themselves, so they know the struggle or whatever. Yeah. And that's why I think that there's some jobs out there that dancers are doing that maybe they're not quite realising how lucky they are, not living in the present. They're thinking yeah. that they're checking their phone for their next job. They're checking yeah. that, you know, what's happening, what somebody else is doing, and really, they're doing something amazing right there. Oh, I'm the ultimate victim of that. Um, I was speaking to, I think I said it in my conversation with Lizzie, the amount of times uh, if you ask me what my favourite moments on specific jobs were, I can't tell you. <laughs> because I was so busy going, right, I'm on this one, what's next week? You know, and I wasn't in the moment, I wasn't embracing it, I wasn't enjoying it. And it took me a long time to go, oh shit, I really need to just like be present, you know, and not think about what's next and not think about other things and just enjoy it what I'm doing and whilst I'm doing it. Because it's. Well, you're letting it pass you by. It's such an amazing thing to do. I mean, I remember when we first started Dancers Inc. There were two dancers that stay, stick in my head, and one of them is very successful now with his own agency, Christian Storm, and uh, Mark Webb, who also teaches a lot now and, and has established himself in that way. Um, they were the two best dancers to book, because if they book, you booked them, they were there with you, they were present, they weren't, I mean, people weren't on their phones as much then, but he, they weren't on their phones, they worked really hard, you got a good day's work out of them. They never complained. Mm -hmm. They were just the consummate professionals. Yeah. And everybody wanted to book them because of that, because they knew that what, what they got was quality. And whenever I sort of see dancers now, in my mind, I think I measure them up against them too a little bit, because in the level of professionalism, mm -hmm. because they were a really great example. And I'm mm -hmm. sure Christian, expects that from his dancers that he books on jobs and things like that. But I always remember how well behaved and and just, just yeah, professional, I can't think of a better word for it, but they were definitely present. Mm -hmm. You know, when they were there, they were there. And I think, you know, sometimes there, there were people on jobs with them and they used to get frustrated with them because they weren't there in their mind. Yeah. They were too busy thinking about the next thing or what job was yeah. I going to get next or, 
you know, they constantly had their everyone used to, people used to have their diaries instead of their families. <laughs> so they'd be flicking through <laughs> their diaries every lunchtime and just not ex enjoying the whole yeah. part of it. And I just remember Christian and Mark weren't like that. And I don't know if they'll understand or remember me thinking that of them, but that's what sticks in my mind about them. Well, I know Mark, obviously, because he teaches at Wilkes. Sure. Um, he's very passionate and still very on it. Like if the students aren't in the studio before him, he's like, why aren't you here before me? And he, was, should, he would always be busting be, a gut more than anybody else in the room. He should be warmer than me. You yeah. should be doing more than me. Because he mm -hmm. was that. And you know, as you are very body conscious, Mark was always working on his body and he was always building himself and, and thinking about his food. And and that, you know, was a great example to the mm -hmm. people that he would, and he would always take people under his wing, the same as he does now, yeah. and would be, giving them advice and telling them what to do and I feel like sometimes dancers don't get that until their third or fourth job they've had to find that out themselves and there needs to be more people that go do you know what you're on your own today mm -hmm. you don't know anyone here there's six of us and you've come from I don't know Canada or somewhere let's bring you in and, and I feel like sometimes this dance community word is sort of bandied around too much like this it's some sort of holy place that everybody goes to and actually I know lots of people who tell me, you know, I've been in London a year and I've barely spoke to anybody. Yeah. You know, I go to class the same night every Monday night and no one ever speaks to me. And I, you know, try and make an effort and I don't really get anywhere because they're in their little clique. And I think that the dance community needs to be that in the true sense of the, of the word, which means welcoming mm -hmm. and means that, you know, if you see people who are doing well, that you tell them, why, yeah. can't, why can't you just say to another dancer, do you know what, I was watching you in class tonight, I thought you were amazing. It's, it's, it's brilliant because it never very rarely happens. But why? And I don't understand why. I, I, but I, I remember to this day, and I, I, I bring it up with it quite a lot, but I'll never ever forget, I was 19, I've just moved to London. Um, I was very good at dance from Wales. <laughs> in sure. Wales, I was one of the better ones. Yeah. And when I came to London, I was... A tiny goldfish in the sea. Mm -hmm. I was like, holy shit, I'm out of my depth. Yeah. And um, I remember Glen Ball spoke to Miranda and sent me to the Janet Jackson audition. And Miranda, yeah, yeah. Miranda got me into the private call with like Cisco, with John Graham, Ryan Chappelle, basically everyone who did the job. Yeah. Bar me. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and Glen was like, you know, spoke very highly of me because he helped me so much yeah. at the beginning. He's a nice guy. And um, so I went in this audition and I was so out of my depth and I couldn't even get the first eight count. I remember being like, oh shit, I haven't got a clue what's going on. Cisco's there and I had nervous sweats and I turned to John and I was like, can you help me? John Graham, and he didn't know who I was at the time and he helped me. Yeah. And I was like, cool. So he helped me, loveliest thing ever, cut within 10 seconds of doing a routine. You know, you're like, I should never have been here. From the, and I just moved to London and I'd never felt so unconfident mm -hmm. back to the unconfident it, mm -hmm. it def defeated me so whenever then I'd be in a situation where I couldn't do something I'd be really embarrassed I'd be really embarrassed that I couldn't do it and I remember taking John Graham's class after that because he was my new hero for helping sure. me without knowing who yeah. I was um, I remember taking his class and Leanne LeMay coming up to me at the end of it and going you're much better than you think you are stop looking at the floor and she was just another dancer you know, she was, she was, yeah, she didn't need to she, say it. She wasn't even a working dancer yeah. at the time. You know, yeah. she was just a very good dancer. And she just came up to me and said, you're much better than you think you are. Stop looking at the floor. And I remember being like, oh. And but that cost her nothing to it say cost that. It's totally but, free. But that's been with me for 10 years, yeah. you know, and it, it, it boosted my confidence hugely, mm. 
huge. It can make such a difference. I just think it's such a generous thing to do. And you know, we're always we're always faced with situations where we're on our own or with a new person. You know, even myself. You know, I have to go into do presentations sometimes in front of a room of people I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, it's hard. We're always faced with faced with those situations. But if you could help somebody by just being a little bit generous in your spirit and saying, you know, you did a really great class tonight, I'm so-and-so, yeah. you know, and just, and I've, I feel that when people do that, you know, that might be the person, the only person they've spoken to all day mm -hmm. because they've moved from another country or they've moved from yeah. Edinburgh or Manchester or whatever and they don't know anyone here. And I just think that if you, if everybody is going to talk about this community, then you have to make a change. Mm -hmm. You've got to be the one that's that's not, that's not going to be the person that's going to ignore people at these at these classes, yeah. or and the class culture is obviously, you know, very prevalent. People are, are are gravitating more and more to going to class all the time. So you must be seeing the same people. Yeah, it doesn't cost you just to say hello. You're probably friends with them on Facebook. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you probably follow them on Instagram. So just speak. Yeah, and I also think, uh, don't be afraid to ask people for help. Yeah, I feel like people are so. Um, Obviously, as long as you're not taking the piss and asking every two minutes um, and asking for things which are very unrealistic. Yeah. But asking someone for advice isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's also quite flattering because if people come to you and they think that you know the answer, then, you know, they're obviously holding you in high regard. You know, yeah. they think that you are somebody that knows what they're doing. And also, when we leave college, we're not handed a manual that tells us how to do everything. No. You know, there is no, as you walk out the door, they pass that book to you and you go, okay, well, anything you need to know, it's in there. Yeah. There yeah. isn't. You're and qualified. Yeah, yeah, or, you know, it, it, there just isn't that. You know, we, there isn't any such thing. So it's normal to not know everything, mm -hmm. you know. I think people have this thing when they first start the, their career that they have to give the impression that they do, yeah. when actually it's sort of more endearing when you don't and you have to find your way. And I've, I struggle with that when people, you know, make mistakes or go up blind alleys or do things wrong because they just didn't have yeah. the, the guts to ask. I always thought that, and this isn't a criticism of them, but I always felt that Pineapple missed a trick a little bit because it's almost like, you know, in my day anyway, it was the, the mecca of dance. Like when people came into London, mm -hmm. it's like the first professional class I ever took was at Pineapple and everybody would gravitate there. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that there should have been someone that you could have asked a question to, and there never was. You know, there was some quite unfriendly people on reception yeah. um, who were a bit hostile, so you were scared to even, you know, do anything wrong. And then you got there and it was just lots of classes, but with no heart, no mm -hmm. center. And I'm not just tarring pineapple with that brush. And, and, well, it happens know, at all places. It's all places, you know, there could be somewhere a hatch, somewhere that people could go to and just go, I've just moved it here, I don't know what to do, blah, can you help me with this, can you just give me advice, mm -hmm. point me in the direction. And I could think of so many people, you just said, you know, you came from Wales, who've come from different places that just didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, when they've come down to London and they've, with all these dreams and aspirations, they've ended up having to go back because there wasn't any guidance, yeah. there wasn't any help. And that's the whole point of this podcast. It's the whole point of the, so people that, you know, people are afraid to ask questions or don't want to, or they feel silly or embarrassed. 
hopefully this will be a resource or a piece of information that they can learn this thing from. Someone might not know why they haven't been paid in 30 days and they'll just assume their own reason. They'll go, oh, because they're an absolute knob and they're yeah. trying to keep my money. Yeah. Well, you now know six reasons why you might have not. Yeah. But if it's a query and it's through Dancers Inc., I suggest he's, Chris has already said, he's happy for you to contact and discuss and he wants a relationship. Yeah. So there's a, <laughs> you've been told what to do. I, I think what you're doing is amazing. And I, I think in terms of the media that you're putting it through as well is definitely more accessible than people who maybe I've just started doing these dancers clinics, mm -hmm. which is a free thing, and it's part of you know we all get to a point in our career where we start talking about giving back, mm -hmm. and I wanted to do it because I wanted people to have that thing that we just talked about, you know, that wasn't at those dance places where you could come and ask a question, and they're not necessarily people that are on our books. They're people who are just, you know, out there and saw it on Insta and want a one-to-one -to, -one to ask questions. And it really worked. And we did the other, the second one this week. And, you know, for me, I just feel like if we can walk away that day and feel like that person has just got two bits of advice that they can put into practice, then it's, there's a point there's to a it. There's a benefit. Yeah, there's a point to it. And I, it made me feel good to, you know, when people say, do you know what, I did that thing. You know, you told me to do it, and I did it, and it worked. Yeah. Because then I feel like they're not an asshole. They're yeah. somebody that wants. Yeah, that's they the actually wants the answer, and is going to make it work. With yeah. It, do you know what I mean? You Definitely. Know? And if there's anything that we can do to help your your thing, yeah. we'll happily do it. If you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you, if well, they want to come and see you, or if they want to make that. I think my main support network thing is through the Temple One Hundred Five book. Um, you know, we're just about to to launch later this year. Um, it is that manual, I think, that we're not given at college. But it's also not just about industry, industry, industry. Mm -hmm. It's not just a hundred million audition tips. Mm -hmm. It's also how to maintain yourself when you are out of work, how you build that sense of self that we talked about in auditions, how um, you learn to value yourself in any given situation. Mm -hmm. So it's life skills. I know, I know there's other people who've looked at some of the, the Insta posts and have gone, you know, I'm not a dancer, but that just speaks to me. Yeah. That works for in my work environment, whatever it is. And so, you know, everybody, all, everybody's ways of living or working or whatever is different doors into the same room, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not preaching, because I know there's a lot of preaching goes on on Instagram. It's, it's basically people going, okay, that could work for me. And one element of it could work for them. The yeah. rest of it might yeah. not be it. They might not get it for five years, do you know what I mean? But they could look at it and go, actually, I've applied that and it works for me. And that's all it's about. You know, it's taking the bits that work for you and, and making it make sense. But, you know, I feel like sometimes when dancers are self-employed, they are floundering a little bit. They need a bit more guidance. And because we've been in a college situation for three years or you know, in dance as a country that route, they come out of college and suddenly they just cut adrift. Well, it's because they've been walked along by their hand by going, you have ballet in the morning, yeah. you have contemporary in the afternoon, and then you yeah, have jazz and singing, tables. and I'll see you in the morning. And mm -hmm. then when they're not given that structure, yeah, <laughs> mind-blowing. And add into that, you know, finding money for rent and, you know, yeah. all the things that you have to do. But I, my worst thing is when dancers say I'm giving up, especially if they've got talent, it really hurts me because I just think, you know, that's such a waste or such a shame if you just held on it a little bit longer or if you just keep pushing through. And I've seen people not hit their stride till 25, 26. Yeah. You know, that didn't quite break through. 
And if they'd given up before that, they maybe would never have had the career that they've got now, mm -hmm. which is amazing. I saw Jeanette Gonzalez take class every single day and dance downstairs at Trocadero, busking and breakdancing and learning all the hip-hop steps for about six years before I saw her do Break probably through. more than three jobs in the yeah. space of a few months. Yeah. And now she works constantly. She did the X Factor tour for us in January. You know, and it's just persistence. It's about staying consistent and knowing well, that's, that... That's, that's hard though. I mean, it is oh, hard. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a skill. It's, it's a skill that you can't just teach. Yeah. You know, you've got to have that determination yeah. and that passion for it. But it, it, it will pay off. It will pay off. It's just hard. It's just, I feel, I think, but then on the, on the same hand, I get annoyed when people say, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, because I just think, yeah, it's hard, but, you know, the reward can be so good, and if you just stick at it, you know, if you, you we're paid to, to sing and dance and show off, you yeah. know, which is a great job, you yeah. know, I know lots of people, my dad, he had to hate his job his entire life, but, you know, we get to do what we love, and yeah. get paid for it. I always say, um, people work their whole lives until they're like 60 or whatever it is now, to retire, and then they enjoy life. Yeah. Me, I've enjoyed life until I'm going to be about 35, 40, and then I'm probably going to have to start working. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I find something that I can keep enjoying. Yeah, but you know, that's, as I always say, my retirement has been all this time. This that's has been my pleasure. Like, instead of having loads of money when I'm 60 to be too old to move and everything, I'm doing everything now. I'm doing all the fun stuff now. Yeah. Like, still trying to be sensible at the same time, obviously, within reasons, and yeah. not be a complete ass and go nuts yeah but you know this is my retirement oh you're living I, it i do what i want every single day that's a really nice way of thinking about it i think i just think that you know all of the opportunities all of the stuff that you can do as a dancer you know they're, they're shining they're amazing mm. and that's why i i do get upset when people say oh, i can't do it anymore or i'm gonna have to get a full-time job or you know i think i've always been some a risk taker i've always liked you know, getting the thing that I haven't quite got yet and keep pushing for that. And so when people go, oh, it's enough's enough, I'm yeah. like, oh, come on, you know, no, you get, there's the more, same. there's more. You know? I'm like, if someone says you can't or you won't, I'm like, eh, oh, well, it's game on. It's I'm on. the same. I'm it's on. the same. I feel like, you know, you can't instill that in someone. They have to have it. 100%. You know, some people by nature, it might be the way they were brought up, it might be their influence of their parents or wherever that some people just don't have that. And then there's other people, you can see it in their eyes, and you're like, okay, you're, this, you're having this job. My, um, my college teacher said to me, you love dance more than anyone in this building, but you're the one person that shouldn't be a dancer. Because my, wow. my body just couldn't do, you know, I'm really unflexible, I've got bow legs, I've got dodgy hips. You know, <laughs> my body is just not made to be a dancer. But she was right, I loved it. Yeah. I was more passionate than any person there. Yeah. When we were in ballet, I wasn't doing the stuff I was meant to be doing, but I was most definitely dancing. Yeah. When we were in jazz and we were doing pirouettes across the room, I was crap at them and I couldn't do grand batmans, but whilst yeah. I was queuing up, I was the only one dancing. Yeah. Everyone was stood in a line like they were about to go to a factory and yeah. do their kicks across the room, yeah. and I'd be dancing on my way to try and do kicks. Yeah. And you know that. And how many of them are still dancing? Me and my best friend Kyle. See, um, that's all you need. You need that but, great determination. But I do think the benefit was that he's been my best friend since I was 13, and we've both supported each other the whole way. We did it uh, together. He's been my best friend. He's like my brother. He's now doing Bat Out of Hell, and he's done Wicked for four years. So I do think that was a big part, because every time one of us wanted to throw in the towel, or one of us was fed up, the other one would go, 
stop being a bitch. Come yeah. on, like yeah, we can do, do this. Like we've got each other. Yeah. If one was ready to walk out, the amount of times he went to quit quit bird college was unreal. Yeah. And I'd ring him and go, "You've done two years. You got one left. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you've done the hard bit." Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've got a question for you, because obviously um, I'm not working as a dancer, and mm-hmm. you are. And <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Well, yeah, ish. <laughs> Um, and you have worked with different agencies and you've, you know, what, if you had to say what would be the perfect representation, not in America, in the UK, what would it be? What would you, what would it be to you? For me, it's someone that I can trust in, Mm -hmm. someone that I can confine in, someone that I can tell the things I'm confident with, but also someone that I can trust with my insecurities. Mm -hmm. Um, like I said earlier, I think people have a massive fear. Uh, people are scared of their agents. They're scared to picking up the phone to them. Not sure their true colours. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to be able to talk to an agent or you like I can talk to my best friend, mm-hmm. like I can talk to my mum, someone that's going to be honest with me, mm. but also be someone to listen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when I was in LA, I had a really hard time and I lost my brother. My agent was the second person I called. I'm on a job. What do I do? Mm. Her answer was, what do you want to do? Mm. We can get you home as soon as you need. Yeah. You know, you want someone that you know is going to be your support unit. And actually listen. And actually listen and not just go, here's an email, here's a job, here's this, here's that. Yeah. More of kind of a manager, mm. you know, someone that you can confine in. And also someone that's going to call you out when they think that you're not doing something to help yourself. Mm-hmm. If they see me post something stupid on Twitter message me and go I've seen what you've done I don't think that's going to I'm not telling you you have to but I don't think it's going to benefit you someone's going to take that the hardest part of being an agent here with that is that there's so many dancers to do that with there's so many clients to do that with that's why being a manager I think that's why I said more like a manager because you have more one to one contact with someone Mm -hmm. just someone that can advise you and help guide you through your own journey Mm -hmm. just because Mark Webb had his way and that's what worked for him doesn't mean that everyone's going to be that way because I most certainly was not that guy. Yeah. I'm an opinionated little shit who spoke probably most of the time when I wasn't meant to and I didn't need someone to tell me to shut up but I needed someone to help me know the consequence of it. Yeah. As opposed just to give me information as opposed to tell me exactly Mentorship what almost. Yeah. yeah. And for me that's what John Graham and Emo Walsh have always been. Mm-hmm. They've always been that to me since I moved here, and Sean Miles a lot as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what I would want from an agent, but obviously it's so difficult because it's such a huge spectrum to cover. It doesn't have to be. Like I said, I feel like some of those things that you've just said, you, qualities you look for, I think that we provide that. Mm-hmm. And, but, and that's, again, why we, we keep our books purposely small. Yeah. Because to have that, too many people just wouldn't be manageable, and we wouldn't be able to offer that, what mm-hmm. you just said. And whenever we um, bring people on the books, we do a two-hour induction yeah. when they first join, um, where we try to cover every single topic or every eventuality that could come up. There'll always be things that we won't think of, yeah. and it will happen or whatever, but we try and cover absolutely everything at the top. So everyone's in the picture. And one thing that I think is really, really important, which is in that talk, which is down to I think proper representation is people having personal medical insurance because you know if, if you're on a, on a job if you're with on a, in a production or 
you know, working for an artist or a pop video or whatever, and a massive piece of scenery comes and falls and lands on you, that isn't your fault. Mm. If, um, you know, you're on a, some sort of structure and it collapses, that's not your fault, you know, and you're subsequently injured from that, that, that isn't your fault. But if your knee gives way in rehearsal, or your shoulder comes out of its socket, or you, I don't know, break your ankle, or, mm -hmm. or whatever, there's all sorts of things that a production company could say caused it. Mm -hmm. They could say you didn't warm up adequately, they could say you possibly had a lingering injury already. Um, there's tons of things they can pin it on because physically they didn't cause that, in, that accident. Yeah. It was your body that's mm -hmm. given up on you. Yeah. Sometimes dancers, when they're overtired as well, and they maybe have done the routine too much that day, they start getting lazy and a bit sloppy or they tired, basically. Mm -hmm. They're suffering fatigue and then they get injured. Mm -hmm. um, and they can still blame that on you. Yeah. They'll say that your body's not up to scratch, you're not able to cope with it. So, to avoid having to pay for your operation, perhaps, mm -hmm. or your rehabilitation, um, physio, everything that could go with an injury, because when you're injured, you can't work. Yeah. You know? you, if you can't earn money, then mm -hmm. you, know, you can't eat, and yeah. you just risk a circle from there. If you had an insurance policy, that covered your operation, that covered your rehabilitation, that made sure that when you were out of work, you even had some earnings. Some some mm -hmm. um, insurance companies do that. They give you like a, a an equivalent of whatever your previous year's earnings were in that month or whatever. Yeah. Then you can go into every single job confidently, knowing that if anything happens, you're covered. Mm -hmm. And dancers feel invincible. They're used to throwing themselves around the floor. They're used to jumping off things. They're used We're to not stuff. invincible. And no, they're not invincible. <laughs> it, it takes one injury to tell you that. Yeah. And you know, you could be really lucky, and you could be, you know, nearly thirty and never have had a serious injury. But when it happens to you, it's a very humbling experience because suddenly you realise, I'm not invincible. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do to earn money? I could be out for six months. Mm -hmm. What do I do? And that's where insurance kicks in. And People are frightened about paying for it because they think it's an expense, it's one of those sort of invisible costs that you don't really until get a, a benefit from until you need it. And so for the past however many years, I've been going on and on and on. And part of our talk when people join Dancers Inc. in the beginning is please get your insurance. And I would say probably two out of a room of ten people will do it. If that. And then I've never had it. Okay, well, absolutely. You know, I know, I've never I, had I it. Don't understand. Even in America, I didn't have it because it was so expensive. Well, America is one place you don't want to get sick. Yeah. You don't want to get I injured to, in America. I used to tell everyone if I break my leg, do not ring an ambulance if yeah, I do. Well, that's ridiculous. I know, it's horrendous. Yeah, I'm ashamed of you. I know. But, um, <laughs> the, you know, if you, if you have that insurance and it's not that much money, um, I swear to God sometimes when I tell people I think I think I work for an insurance company and I'm going to get some benefit off it yeah. myself. I'm not connected. I can't even really tell you a decent one to go for apart from equity mm -hmm. who have an insurance policy and understand the industry. You yeah. know, you could have private medical insurance with any insurance company, but with equity they understand the, the life of a performer mm -hmm. and they understand what a rehearsal is or a casting or audition. And one of my friends years ago went to was doing Fame the musical and she went to uh, casting on her break for Puma and snapped her cruciate ligament in her knee. So she was already meant to be in a show and she did that on her lunch break and had to hobble back to work. And she wasn't insured. 
you know, luckily fame were generous enough to pay for our operation. Mm -hmm. But any type of operation like that, if you're going private, it's worth a lot of money. Yeah. Now your insurance will cover that. Now what you do need to be aware of though, let's say you've got a, an existing injury, like you've mm -hmm. always had a bad knee, for yeah. example. If you then get insurance, they can actually not insure that part of your body for the next seven years. Yeah. So it's no point in getting it retrospectively. You've got to get it in advance. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've I've had situations on jobs where people have injured themselves or whatever, and they've just been cut adrift. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them didn't even go back to work again, and because you know they didn't have the resources to go to physio every yeah. single day. You know, if you're in a West End show and you have an injury, they send you to physio every day. Yeah. You know, because they're paying for it. Yeah. But when you're out there on your own. You have to have your own insurance, and I can't tell people enough how important it is. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got four boys just about to go, or they start rehearsals today, and I was sent. I called them all this week, or, or messaged them and said, "Can you let me know your status of your current status of your insurance? I want to know what it is yeah. because I don't feel comfortable them going out on a job and not having that cover." You know, yeah. I don't physically benefit from it or anything like that, mm. but I just don't want to ever be, see them in a situation where they aren't covered and they're having to wait for the NHS yeah. for an operation, which could be six months. Mm -hmm. You know, you're out of work for six months, really. You know, that's not an option when that's what's bringing in your mm -hmm. money. So for me, my, I will always champion the insurance thing. I think in America, people are almost born with it because they know that if you need an operation, that's yeah. hundreds of thousands of pounds. We, we quoted my insurance when I first moved there um, with my family. I mean, it was more than my rent. Of course. Like, it was more than, like, I could never afford it. Yeah. But it was, it was literally like everyone I ever met and everyone I ever worked with, it was like, if something happens, ring my agent. Yeah. Do not ring an ambulance. Do not ring anyone else. Or ring David Ratcliffe, who was my emergency contact. Yeah and they will take charge, yeah. and they will determine what's best. But, but you have to but, imagine though, Kane, in that situation, that if you were unconscious... Oh, then no one can. You know, and <laughs> you were had blunt blood pumping out of you, you know, or whatever, they have to make decisions very quickly. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine was recently in a car accident in Vegas, and um, the bill that she got was like telephone numbers, it was horrendous, yeah. you know, she was, and she was very injured and you know she didn't have insurance or whatever and and it was frightening amount of money so and it's the same in australia as well you know mm. you, you have to pay for the for whenever you're abroad so if you've got this insurance cover it won't jump up and bite you when you least expect it yeah. and we aren't invincible yeah. we have to make sure that we are covered in that and that's my you know to any dancer starting their career dancers that are already in their career mm -hmm. you know if you've if you've not had an injury so far then you've just been lucky mm -hmm. but it could happen to you tomorrow yeah. you know it could happen to you on the, on the way to rehearsals let alone at rehearsals you can step out of the yeah. cab and break your ankle you know it's, well, the amount of people that, that's when most injuries happen isn't it exactly <laughs> we're good at dancing we're not good at other shit it yeah. happens then well, people go go out and drink and then they you know they take a risk or they start deciding that's when they're going to show acro when they're a bit drunk and the next thing they've split their head open it's all no one over the age of 25 does that no, <laughs> no. they all pretend they can't do yeah. acro I'm like that. Can you, you can do tricks can't can you yeah. no, oh, no. no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> but you know I think it's one of the most important things that you know out of this podcast whatever it is we, we need to tell people mm -hmm. you have to have insurance yeah. you have to look after yourselves I think people think that on every single job they're covered 
and they really aren't. Oh no. You know, they, it's everybody, pretty much production companies, there's a new law actually that every single company that we work for, this has only just been passed, um, they have to supply us with the health and safety and um, risk assessment for every single job. So, and that's only new. You know, that's not mm. been something, sometimes we've had it anyway, but now we can demand it because it's the law. Yeah. And, you know, most companies will have public liability insurance, but again, that's the type of insurance that covers you if there's negligence on their part, if the set hits you, if you fall down a hole that they've done, you know, something yeah, yeah. like that. Um, we had a dancer that did a tour once and he stood in the wrong place um, in rehearsals in front of a fire cannon and the fire cannon shot up just as he stepped away. Well, he would have been burnt, you know, yeah. third degree burns from oh, that. Horrendous. So that would have been their fault. But in, if he'd have fallen over because he wasn't paying attention or wasn't, you know, you know, on his game that day, they'd blame that on him. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so yeah, insurance is the one. So insurance is the one. Any other last minute tips you'd give to listeners? I just think always be nice to everybody. Fact. That's the main thing. I just think that you never know who you're working with. You know, I, at one point I had a building in London and you know, I did dress up in a suit every day to go to work. I was running around moving chairs about and things like that and I was quite often taken for the caretaker, which is fine, you know. I was, yeah. I practically was, I was there every day yeah. anyway. But, you know, people sort of decided at that point who they needed to be nice to and who they didn't. And if you were the caretaker, you clearly didn't need any respect. Yeah. And you just don't know who that is. That could be, you know, obviously yeah. I own the building, so it was, yeah. <clears throat> it was a bad thing. But I also see some of the younger ones on jobs, they'll be absolutely darling to the choreographer or, or to the director or to their agent or whatever. And when they get onto jobs, they actually behave very, very badly. Yeah. And, um, you know, recently we had someone from wardrobe complain about somebody and we had to deal with it there and then and it was a bit awkward. But that person probably would never have thought that the wardrobe person would go back and say anything, mm -hmm. or maybe that they weren't important enough. Yeah. But you know, my sister and I used to work together all the time in the beginning. She was a makeup artist and stylist, and I don't think people often knew that she was connected to me. Yeah. You know, we didn't always broadcast it, and you know, she, she used to hear all sorts of things and people talking to her badly or whatever. And of course, she'd come and tell me we'd never work with them again. Yeah. So. I just think it's free, it doesn't cost you anything to be nice to everybody. Yeah. To just be gracious, be um, grateful, to, you know, be polite, it, it's, it doesn't hurt, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, and you find that when you're respectful to people, if they're not respectful to you back, then that's on them. Yeah. If you've been equally rude to them, then you're probably mm -hmm. going to expect that response. But if you are always polite and always make a good impression and mean it as well, be yeah. sincere about it, mm -hmm. then you can, you'd can you be surprised how many doors it opens. Uh, what we're looking for, and I know Beth, who we work with a lot, um, looks for this, is we're looking for people who are going to be great fun to work with on a job and are going to be good company members. Yeah. And that goes for everything. You know, when they mm -hmm. start, they've got to... You know, they've got to tick lots of boxes, but mainly in character, how, how they are as a character. And um, you can be the best dancer in the world, but if you're rude, no one wants to work with you. And that has definitely been something that I've held on to from the beginning. If there's somebody who I feel is bad-mannered, then I don't really want to know. 
and I think lots of people would back me up. I've seen people talk themselves out of the industry yeah. because they've maybe, you know, they've been a bit controversial just about everywhere they've gone and they might have done that with four or five people and all of a sudden they stop getting booked. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a shame, especially if they're talented. But it's just good manners, just be, just be nice to everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, there's people who I'm working with now who started out as dancers and now they're choreographers, yeah. you know, and they work with me, you know. If I'd been awful to them as a dancer, then we wouldn't have this relationship, you know. I didn't, I, there's so many people that have gone into being agents themselves or they've gone into being producers themselves and we've maintained a good relationship because I respected them in the beginning despite where they came from or what their status was at the time. It's irrelevant, yeah. you know, just treat everybody nicely. That's my main thing. On that note, treat everybody nicely. That's a very good uh, last thing to remember. Thank you very much, Chris. One more time, where can everybody find your book when it's out? Um, it's, if you look on the Insta, which is at Temple105, or just the at Dancers Inc. World, um, on our website or whatever so you can have a look on there or on Insta Boom, I urge people to go and check it out I believe it will be a great asset to you Thank you very much Chris Thank you Kane. Thank you for listening to the Ins and Outs podcast Please make sure you subscribe leave a 5 star rating and review on iTunes and also make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Ins and Outs underscore Thank you very much and until next time the Ins and Outs